Welcome to Sales Enabled, the podcast for salespeople, sales leaders, and sales enablers everywhere who are committed to making the sales profession better for everyone involved. Welcome to episode four of Sales Enabled, where I have the pleasure of interviewing John Seeley. John is an experienced salesperson who turned to stand-up comedy in hopes of fulfilling a lifelong dream to never sell technology again. At some point, John realized the practice of comedy writing is exactly what sales and marketing teams need to learn in order to be able to better craft value propositions, figure out their ideal client profile, and ultimately condense the initial client connection into just two lines, which you and me would recognize as a joke. John has taught these techniques to some big names such as Canon USA, Citrix, and Philips Healthcare, to name just a few. And today I get to discover more of John's processes and how through teaching comedy writing, he is actually making salespeople better communicators all around. Let's head over to the show. Hey, John, great to see you uh, again. And, and thanks for being on the show. I'm super excited about our conversation today and, and figuring out how you do what you do and, and kind of the approach that you take to, I don't know, we're going to talk about comedy, comedy writing, we're just talking about that, but it really educating people in sales and communication through, through writing jokes effectively. Let's do that. And it is, it is great to be here. Thanks for having me. Brilliant. And comedy for me is, is it's, it's a strange one, right? And, and I'll be interested to hear your thoughts on how we do this. And, you know, as a trainer, I try and make people laugh uh, during trainings. If they laugh at the right time, then, you know, that's always a good sign. But there's an element of, of enjoying learning that is important. But I think that, you know, there's, there's a, a, a kind of dichotomy, right, is we want to enjoy ourselves, but comedy and, and jokes are never seen are not always seen as appropriate in a in a business environment. But your you know your whole thing is how do we help people use the language and the structure of jokes and comedy writing to to better connect with people? So how have you found the reaction in business? How do people kind of pull those two things together? So you you nailed it. A lot of people think like comedy uh, comedy writing. What is this? This we we need serious sales training. And then what they do is they proceed to put their people through long, boring sessions where people really are staring at their phones the whole time. Uh, I was trained in an era, uh, which I won't mention, let's just say it was kind of like around 20 years ago, where I would, this is before smartphones, where we're sitting in this giant room, a sales trainer's brought in either from the outside or it's an internal person. And we're all just mentally killing the time till it's over. You know, we're hoping that we don't get called on to do a role play in front of everyone else. Yeah. Um, and and we all learn from that. I'm not, you know, it's not like I totally tuned out for all of it. I, I, I did pay some attention. But there were moments where I'm like, this feels the same as the last one we did. Like, I want to get out of here. Um, whereas I really loved team building exercises. I also loved learning from um, senior peers. And when I say peers, sales reps who have been around quite a bit longer than me either yeah. in a career who had a, who had been in sales longer or had been with uh, my company longer. I felt that they were gold mines of um, insights and knowledge and tips and skills. And so what I decided to do was to create something that enabled all that, that, that peer, um, that tribal knowledge sharing, learning from your peers, um, as well as something a little bit more hands-on and team building to help sellers better understand who is my audience and how can I flick on a positive emotional switches with them 
by highlighting things that affect them negatively in real life. Yeah. And so the idea is if we're going to try to connect with our prospects, because Dan, I think you might know this, but most sales pros sell stuff they've never used to people whose jobs they've never had in industries they've never worked. And it's really hard to show our prospects like, look, we, we know you're struggling with this and this is what, this is the impact it has on your business. And this is how it's going to affect you and your manager. Um, a lot of sales reps struggle to really master that information. And by putting them through this process of saying, hey, we're going to work backwards from like, what will make them laugh? Laughter is based on truth and pain. What are those pains that are impacting them? And how can we say things more creatively and memorably? The goal is to help sellers master all that stuff I just mentioned. What problems do we solve for who? What happens if they don't solve the problem? What emotions does it, does it affect of theirs? And the goal isn't to make people hysterically funny. It's to just put them through this process to reverse engineer all this good knowledge and insight they need to have a meaningful, confident conversation with their prospect. And that was the most long-winded answer I've ever given. Well, I hope it really answered everything that you were looking for. Well, John, I'm not going to try and make a joke, but people can always listen to this podcast on 2x speed and get through it. <laughs> it's one of my favorite audible hacks. Um, absolutely. But in that, you mentioned like some gold nuggets in there. And you know, as a, as a trainer and someone who, who trains training teams, the idea of peer sharing, getting people working, and you know, I've been in those training rooms for days and days. And you know, as they turn around to the board, you're, you're catching a few Z's. Um, but you said a few things in there. You talked about making people laugh and. You know, I had a conversation about outreach this week as well in terms of, you know, so many of the outreach, some, some of those connections are just so dull and boring. Like, how can we use some form of human touch? And I don't think there's much uh, other than making someone laugh that actually gets somebody to feel human and, and engaged. But you also talked about pain and, and benefit and, you know, and also the ideal client profile. Is it can you really get all of that content into a, a short joke is that have you found that to actually really be possible seems like a lot of content to get across in such a short period of time i mean you could make a joke to hire to, to impress any particular point upon any particular audience so for example if we want to make a joke about uh what it's like why we shouldn't do host podcasts in very gray rooms like the one you're in um we, we can do that we, we can it might not turn out super hilarious, but we can make that effort. There's problem, and, and I bet you we could actually, but that's besides the point. But but in short, if we want to, we want our prospects to say this vendor gets that I'm struggling with um, a compliance issue or um, a low pipeline issue or um, lots of bureaucracy in your HR organization type issue, you can, you can write a joke, a short one or two liner that packs enough context in there um, and that, that impresses that point about what stinks about that problem. That's, it's, 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 it's relatively, I don't want to say simple to do. It's, kind of, it, it's, a, it's a tough undertaking, but it can be done quite, quite efficiently if you put the work and the effort into it, like anything. And, yeah, and it is work and effort. Right? And if I go far enough back, I actually did a stand-up comedy course this was a long time ago and if you've been on my training arguably you say it didn't work but I learned the process or at least part of the process and I want to talk to you about the process right because for me on that course you spend time writing out jokes and writing all the words 
but then actually the work comes in in removing the words and that that was kind of the the big thing is is removing a lot of the unessential words that are on the page that just don't add any value and i'm probably breaking all of those rules right now just saying all of these things but take me through like what's part of the process because i think you know if i look at some of the cold outreach emails that i've had lately there's too many words and let's just get to the point so is there an element of essentialism or editing? Like how important is that in the process? And what else is there that we need to be aware of? Let's let's come back to editing. It's it's because something that's equally important is nailing the truth down. So a lot of people think that if I challenge them to write a joke, they're they're trying to think up something funny right on the spot. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what they taught you in your comedy class, but I actually took a class two to start. And the first step was pick, pick a couple of topics that are important to you or something you want to, you have a point of view on. Usually okay. something you feel negatively about. Like we like to, comedians have a rant. Yeah. yeah. I have a rant. Exactly. You know what I don't like what really grinds <laughs> my gears, as they would say in America in the 80s. Uh, Peter Griffin. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and, and take that thing that bothers you. And, and write as much as you can about the topic without even attempting to be funny. Yeah. Capture all the granularity of it, all the specifics. We're trying to use humor to paint pictures about what sucks about mm. that problem. Can I say sucks on this podcast? You can say a whole lot more than that if you want. Uh, well, I better well, I'll pull just, my, I'll beep it out or I'll just put that not safe for work. <laughs> I better pull up my curse words dictionary. <laughs> so in short, like... You know, my favorite jokes always end in something really specific. Like I, I love, you know, comedians telling jokes about, I hate drinking, uh, late nights drinking. And it always ends up with like them in an Arby's, if you guys, or a, whatever the, the, the UK equivalent of like a terrible fast food chain is. Yeah. But they mention the chain by name and that, you know, that chain has a reputation of being whatever you want to say about it. Yeah. Um, I don't want you to get into legal troubles with the Arby's people here. <laughs> But, but but good jokes can paint a picture um, when, when those specifics are there because the specifics sort of give us an idea of what they're talking about, especially if there's um, common perceptions about those things that, that we're unpacking through this truth-gathering process. Yeah. So the, once we have all that, <clears throat> then we could start to make it funny. When Once we figure out where the funny is, to your point, we definitely need to figure out how can we get to the punch quick quickest um there's lots of ways to tell a joke and when i say let's just be clear when we say jokes we don't mean that like three um you know members three leaders of various faith groups walk into a bar and say highly offensive things to the bartender and one another like that's not what we're talking about we're not talking yeah. about some long-winded story that your great uncle tells at the holiday table um, is that how you say it? The holiday table in the UK? We'll, we'll go with it. I think we'll be as, as non-denominational as possible. Yeah, <laughs> all, like an all-inclusive uh, language, like, yeah. Yes, I like it. So um, not some long-winded story that ends, you know, in a cheesy pun. It's really all about like a quick one or two sentence, uh, let's call it structure, that um, gives some context and sort of subverts expectations, surprises and delights. Yeah. Or, or again, paints that picture using really graphic terms. Maybe it compares two things. Um, but once we get the, the the general gist of what we're trying to say down in the joke format, at that point, yes, we need to uh, eliminate every word 
and syllable that doesn't matter. Because, you know, if you're looking, you know, the rule in comedy is, uh, the dated rule in comedy is you're supposed to get like a, a laugh every, I don't know, 20 or 30 seconds. They say if yeah. you get three laughs in a minute, you're doing well. If you're doing a five minute set, you should have 15 laughs in five minutes, like right when you're starting out. And that's like, usually when you can do that, they'll advance you in stand up comedy. Um, and if you have, let's say, three or four extra syllables, unnecessary syllables in each joke, you're prolonging. Um, the length of time it takes to get that laugh. And if you can cut out all those syllables and or words, um, you know, you, the, the trick is get to the funny faster. And the same goes if we're using a joke in a cold email, on a cold call, in a LinkedIn connection request, they only give us 300 characters. Um, yeah. Voicemail, text, whatever it is. We want people to spend as little time engaging with this little creation that you you conceived and are putting out there and, and eliciting that emotional reaction. So you want them to, to read your joke in, if it's an email, four seconds. And, and, and you know, hopefully they read it. They say, oh, that that's funny because it's true. We are dealing with that. And then if you laugh, or if they laugh, I should say, they're going to take the time to either respond uh, if you're delivering them on a cold call and um, there's a certain type of joke that I teach called the cold opener, which um, is designed to highlight that relevance, let them know it's a cold call, and, and again, get that laugh within five to 10 seconds. We just want to get there as quickly as possible. So yes, editing um, requires not just stripping out those syllables that aren't necessary, but sometimes finding new ways to say things that maybe like we're using buzzwords sometimes. How can we say it in simpler English and then cut out even more syllables? Yeah, and I think you said in there, like the specificity is super important, right? The funny is in the details, right? If you're generic and all that kind of stuff, it you know it might get a chuckle, but it's not going to get a proper laugh. And I think you know the more specific you can be to someone's scenario, the funnier they're going to find it. Like I, you know, became a parent three years ago, and before that, all the parenting jokes were like, oh, yeah, that happens to other people. But as soon as you become a parent yourself, and you're like, oh my god, that's real. That's an everyday thing for me. I'm like. These things are hilarious. And so I'm, you kind of, you associate. So I think, you know, and we'll talk about the cold openers because I think you've got a couple of examples that you can share with us as well. But some of these jokes are very contextually funny, right? If you took them out of the context or if you took them to a different person, different industry or something, that there's no humor in there at all. But to that niche, to that audience that you're actually trying to get it into, this is one of the things that they're, you know, they're laughing about to themselves every day. And you've just consolidated it into one kind of really quick joke where you're tying in, you know, the relevance and how important it is, but you're also highlighting some of the pain, especially if you're trying to open a conversation uh, and lead it in towards a sale, right? Yeah, you nailed it. We're, we're, we're living in a, in a niche world where not everything needs to be for everybody. And the jokes that I uh, help my clients create or create for them, excuse me, they're not meant to be told to the vast majority of the planet. They're meant for a very niche specific audience, the target persona whose attention they're trying to earn. Yeah. And so have we got a few examples? Like give, give us a couple and ones that you can share. I don't know if clients are, are happy for you to share some of them, but you know, have you got a couple of examples of, of jokes that you and the teams have created? Yeah, there's, there's a few on my website that people can check out. Um, they look for uh, joke samples, they'll find it, johnsealer.com slash joke samples. 
And so I worked with a client. Let, let's talk about a company that everyone knows, um, Canon, but not the photocopy machine people. This is Canon Solutions America, and they're a, they're a um, they're a division within Canon Corporation, the larger corporation, who large organizations outsource everything to do with print to them. So print is a big pain in the butt for really anybody. Well, really anybody. So CIOs and COOs usually like they don't want to deal with print. Why? Because it doesn't do anything strategic um, for the organization. It's just this this function that you know pre-pandemic especially people really needed. And so you know toner runs out; it needs to be replenished. Security drivers, um, security on the network, drivers for the printer for the printers. They all need to be updated. Paper needs to be replenished. Um, the devices go out of warranty. This is all like, like time and energy for something that's just this really supporting you know, tool for, for people at companies. Um, so the CIO doesn't want to own that because they want to be working on strategic projects. COOs want to be working on bigger picture stuff too. So, and as you, you said earlier, it's like, you know, they say it's not funny if you have to explain it, but for these jokes, like we literally need to explain it so this audience will get it. So Canon sells these, these managed print services like companies and governments and um, institutions outsource all their print to Canon so that the CIO and the COO don't have to manage the devices, the toner, the security updates, etc. And so the joke that uh, one of the team members wrote, well, one of the groups wrote, I should say, was, that closet full of toner could be could could be good inventory management, or a sign of a hoarding disorder. Now I can laugh because I'm somebody who hoards print cartridges, <laughs> so I could get that. I could completely get it. And I've also been in those offices where you have like you have your stationary cupboards, right? And one of them is always just print stuff from like you know and and. You don't need it very often. It's, you just—it's when it goes wrong, everything goes wrong. So no, I get that. I can—I can see how that would, would create a connection with people who are interested in saying, like, well, how do I get rid of this problem? How do I get it off of my plate um, and, and free up some time?" And so yeah, like you say, in that context, would get a chuckle, right? It would at least get me to think, "Oh, okay, yeah, you get—you get my problem. You get it." Um, so talk to, I know you said process is important. So how, what's, what's the process that you take people through? You've given us a few instincts, but if someone was listening right now and say, okay, well, I'm thinking about creating a joke, what would be the kind of process you would encourage them to, to go through? So as sellers or marketers, I should say, um, you know, we solve problems for, for prospects. Um, what is the, what is that problem that we eliminate for them that will make their lives easier. That's sales 101, right? Yeah. I don't think I'm sharing anything new with anybody. But the trick is then how can we transform that problem and say it in a more memorable way that, that again, that elicits that emotional reaction and that stands out from the pack. Um, so the process is really to like figure out, okay, who is my target persona? What are they trying to achieve? And how does this problem prevent them from reaching those objectives, i.e. their desired end state. Like, where are they looking to go? What, what do they need to get done? And how much is this problem preventing them from getting there? And once we could map out all those impacts of not solving a problem and why it prevents them from getting there, 
maybe who else is affected. I think it's important to, to lay out, well, what stakeholders um, that does our target persona have both internally and externally and how are their lives impacted by all this stuff? And then also looking at all of their emotions. So, so yeah. So what you're explaining here and like, correct me if I'm wrong, but this sounds like classic sales training. Like if, if I, if I take somebody through a training module and I can get them to divide, decide and kind of identify the, the client profile, pains of problems the kind of solution all of those things like that's a really good training session if i'm just thinking selling but you're putting this all under the guise of of comedy writings is that are you undercover training people how to be salespeople? is this is this I'm, kind of <laughs> I'm, I'm totally like tricking reps into mastering who their target persona is and why they matter to them through the process of joke writing it's total um trickery on my part Amazing, um, but but that said, if they can write a great joke as a group, as a team, even if it's just one, that message can be exploited across cold, you know, four to five cold outreach channels, social selling, um, content creation. There's all this buzz on LinkedIn these days. You need a great hook at the top of your content. Um, a great joke can be used as the hook. Yeah, um, you know. And so, so there's just so many ways for um, B2B teams to exploit humor that's not frivolous, that's not juvenile, that's not offensive, that's not immature. Just simple joke structure, again, I mean, clean jokes are harder to write than dirty jokes. But, um, but dirty jokes are cheap laughs, right? We're looking for an informed laugh. We're looking for someone who who gets the joke. And there are some great comedians who who have the smarts and you've got to work at listening to their jokes, but when you get it, you get it. Right. Yeah. And I always like to say that, that um, this kind of joke is connecting tissue between buyer and seller. Mm. So not only does the, do, do these kind of jokes demonstrate to prospects, I get your world, I get your challenges. Um, but if the prospect laughs, they let their guard down. Um, they're, they're more receptive to a little bit more information, having a conversation. So it's got effects on the back end, i.e. the process of writing the jokes. And then on the kind of in the, on the front end, um, the practical side of things of how can we exploit, deploy these jokes and exploit, exploit them to start more conversations and have easier ones because we've gone through this process of writing these jokes. We've learned all this good stuff about how our problems impact them. Once we break the ice, we're in such a better position, more confident position to have a meaningful, knowledgeable conversation with the prospect. Yeah, and that's that's half the battle, right? Is, you know, as a seller, even though I've never been in this situation, never been in the role, and you say that empathy piece, it communicates empathy. If we're able to consolidate this into one thing, but also, you know, if I'm, if I'm a buyer and I am, and I get all of this outreach, do I really want to speak to any of these people? There's gotta be something that connects me to one of those forms of communication that makes me go, okay, well, that one, that one's a little bit different, so I'm going to engage with that. And like you said, a laugh is that connective tissue. I like the way you've described that. Um, you know, it's the, it's the emotional reaction. If I get an emotional reaction to a piece of communication, I'm going to feel some form of rapport and connection and more likely carry on that conversation. So you gave us a few examples of how you're going to use this as well. Go on, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say that, uh, I mean, a lot of selling is predicated upon these negative emotions, like things that frustrate people or anger them or that make them afraid or nervous. Mm -hmm. um, 
And humor plays on those, right? Like, yes, we're highlighting all those things, but we're doing it in a way that's a bit of a release. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it generates positive feelings towards the seller. Um, so it kind of is killing two birds with one stone, so to speak. Yeah, I like it. And oh, I think we all need a little bit of brevity. Uh, in in and levity in these days, it's uh, everything's getting a little bit too serious. So yeah, if you can show my pain in some kind of lighter context, I'll uh, I'll, I'll definitely listen to you on that one. Um, I know we had a chat the other day as well, and we, we talked a little bit about the difference between stand up and improv. Um, and I know we're we're largely talking about here stand up techniques, right? It's it's a controlled environment. Um, you know, a lot of the things are planned. We're not going to be winging it, uh, so to speak. But if we look at sales, oftentimes they're they're encouraged to wing it, to do the improv techniques. I know, right? As uh, you know, having seen salespeople in action, maybe more of them should think about stand up. But <laughs> give, give me your take on on stand up versus improv. Obviously, both can be uh, hilarious. But from a sales perspective, do you lean towards one more than the other? God, where do I begin? Um, <laughs> no, I've, I've done improv and I've done stand-up. In fact, improv is what led me to stand-up. Um, look, improv is all about creating unrecreatable moments. You do a scene with some partners, it, it's never going to be repeated again. Stand-up, I know it looks like the, the, the comedians are making it all up off the top of their heads, but they're not. It's been... Um, scripted it's been tested it's failed the scripts have failed it's been iterated it's been practiced god knows how many times and then it's tried again and that that process makes it tighter and tighter and tighter and it, you know it's, it's sort of a funnel game itself when you watch a netflix special um it's kind of like you're getting that comedians um they're they're reviewing all the deals that help them hit their number. So their quota is like 60 minutes of material. Yeah. But they probably had to write, you know, 10x that. So they probably yeah. had to write 600 minutes of material to get it down to 60 that they're going to yeah. put in their special. So when you watch a comedian on Netflix, you're really seeing the best of the best of their year. Um, the yeah, absolutely. And they, the, like you say, they've tested it in front of a live audience, smaller, like behind the scenes. But this is, yeah, this is definitely not the first time they're, they're bringing this to the stage. But it took a lot of practice and iteration and seeing what works with prospects um, and seeing what's a re what gets repeatable reactions. And as salespeople, I believe we need to, um, if we're prospecting, get repeatable reactions. If we're delivering a demo, we want repeatable reactions uh, or, or repeat. Yeah, we, we want to do stuff that, that elicits those reactions repeatedly, I guess, is a better way to put it. And we need to figure out what buttons do we have to push. Improv will never allow sellers to do that. Mm. Sales, should, sales is a process. Some say it's a science. Some say it's an art. I kind of think it's a combination of both. Um, I think there's a framework that makes it a science, but within that framework, you can deviate a little bit from what the person who thinks it's pure, purely a science um, would suggest. I think you can deviate from those those ideas. I, th I think I think it's both. But if, you know, and you mentioned the unrepeatable moments in improv is is almost the opposite of what I would want sales teams to go through, right? And and maybe it's the control freak in me that says, no, you need to do it a particular way. 
But if we go through a process and we do it regularly and you know, we have a whole bunch of people doing it, there should be some form of consistency. And consistency you can't get if you're just making it up on the spot. And so you know, I, I'm with you. I think we can learn a lot from this kind of comedy writing process into saying, okay, well, do this, pause for reaction or something, do this piece, this should happen, then react in this particular way. So I think there's a lot in the comedy writing that you're talking about that that lends itself to sales, not just in the opening, but also in a way that comedians think about putting together a set because it's it's also a journey, right? You don't you know, stay funny all the way through. You you elicit different emotions as you go through a set. Um, you, you mentioned, you know, starting an improv. How, how did you get into this? Like, tell me a bit about your journey. I'm, I'm curious. How did you find this connection between, you know, writing jokes and, and sales? How did you put those? It's like a beautiful Venn diagram. <laughs> yeah, and it is a journey. Uh, so I started my sales career unexpectedly um, for a tiny startup um, who's, I can't mention, but they their name rhymes with Snorkel um, about 20 plus years ago. And... I didn't know anything about sales. I was selling ERP, enterprise business applications. I started off as a cold caller. Um, literally, the, the term S, yeah, we were business development consultants, which, you know, I, when I applied, I'm like, I can help change. I can be a consultant that helps um, develop the business. I can change the trajectory of this company. I, I have a couple of business degrees. And, um, you know, you find out it's cold calling. And it's like, all right, this is after some you know, some dot-com bust challenges, um, kind of like some startup challenges we're going through now. I decided I wanted to be somewhere stable and I wanted a role that was clear. I had done door-to-door sales when I was much younger. Um, I had done, I'd always done some kind of prospecting of some kind. Um, you know, if I was trying to put together my own little projects, I'd, I'd pick up the phone and dial strangers back in the day. Yeah. So this didn't intimidate me that much. I mean, yes, it's a little daunting calling a CFO of a $500 million company. I get that. Uh, and it was. But but I was I was doing cold calling. So step one was I realized they would give us these scripts, like the, the what I guess now is known as sales enablement would give us these playbooks and these scripts. If we were, pro- if we were doing a campaign around a particular solution, because I mean, uh, that, that company has God knows how many tools that businesses could buy. And every week you were supposed to run a campaign on a different one and get trained on it. And yeah, I just remember reading, like someone would answer the phone. I'd be reading the script and I realized I am talking forever. <laughs> so that was number one. I realized, yeah. like, oh my God, like I need to get there much quicker. So that was the first little thing. Step two was I moved into a sales role, proper sales role. And I'd have pre-sales engineers and they would be doing demos on things like global financial consolidation software. So it's the sexiest stuff there is, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. And I remember he was a bit of a boring, um, not the most dynamic um, sales consultant who delivering the demo, but he would slide in a joke at one point that made the prospect really laugh about the challenges associated with global consolidation. And I thought he just made it up. But then we were on a demo a month later and he, he did it again. He used the, I really the exact the, same joke. Is this the exact same joke? Yeah. That's right. yeah. And he got the same reaction. Yeah. And then I started doing stand up after improv, just being a little bit frustrated with improv. And I was like, yeah, I've always been a writer. I let's tackle this. I, I, 
I didn't even realize I was entering a stand-up class. I thought it was a, just a comedy writing class and that maybe I'd write some sketch comedy with some people I'd meet in the class. I looked at it as like an opportunity to meet some like-minded people and just flex my brain in a new way. I had still been selling enterprise technology and professional services this whole time. Um, and once I started doing stand-up and learning how jokes worked, I was like, huh, you can make a joke about absolutely anything you want. And I started to see that Comedians were putting on shows for very niche audiences. They'd be putting on shows for Marvel Comics fans, for superhero fans, or for Star Wars fans, or for professional wrestling fans. And I shied away from doing these shows because I felt they were too throwaway and there's too much work involved in writing jokes. And then when will I use this again? But, but I did a couple of couple of shows like that, and I realized this is a really good exercise to, to niche down. Like, niche, like learning about a particular topic, going deep, you know, if you could work Chewbacca into a punchline or Wookiee, um, I think that's super funny, um, personally. And if people don't get that joke, well, I, I don't know what to say, but that's besides the point. Uh, or those references, I should say. Um, and then, and then, you know, about five and a half years ago, um, I started, I put together a presentation on how uh, presenters can use humor to connect with an audience. And I didn't want to just be this keynote speaker guy. I figured like, okay, that could be good. But I figured, I don't know. I like team building. I like learning um, when it's done in a fun way. And I kind of wanted to bring a more fun approach um, to help ultimately salespeople um, write these jokes that they could deliver on their prospects. And something I learned was from my clients that the journey is more valuable than the, the end product. And because I, I was under the assumption after having been away from the business world for, I took a few years off to kind of do stand up and to work on another comedy related business project. And I always thought that companies were training their people on persona and pain point and business acumen. What I realized really quickly was they were not doing the effective job that they needed to be doing. And that this journey was valuable for the ones who hadn't, hadn't, got, hadn't really done a good job. Yeah. Um, so while the jokes were kind of good, they liked the whole, oh, you're making them think about what problem we solve and for who I'm like, well, aren't you teaching them that? And I'm realizing they're not always doing um, And oftentimes teams just don't get right into it, right? Like you say, enabling teams are so small, they're focused on putting out playbooks and scripts and onboarding and all of these things. And, you know, oftentimes people assume that these fundamentals are being covered. Um, but I also think that thinking about it differently and thinking about it with this, this kind of comedy writing lens changes. It's, it's for me, it's articulation. And I was chatting with some friends this week. The, the art of communication is dying, I think. And, and, you know, and we're seeing, you know, chat GPT giving us what we should say and just read that. And actually that goes into a, a text reader and we don't even need salespeople in the middle and to see the art of communication just going. And actually what you're teaching people is, What's the essence? What is the essential pieces of information that we need to get across that are going to connect most effectively, elicit an emotional reaction and create intrigue on the other side? And that's everything that we're asking salespeople to do, right? So I like the fact that you're saying it's not about being funny. It's not about the joke. It's the journey and the understanding and how do we consolidate everything to, to that degree that professional comedians have gone through whether we try and be funny or not, that's that's where you're saying the value is. 
That is exactly what I'm saying the value is. And uh, there's nothing more to add to that because you did a really good job of summarizing it. Well, this has been, uh, clearly I'm learning, I'm listening, I'm trying to do everything that I'm hoping everyone else is doing on this podcast, which is asking the question, which is, how, how, do I understand those things? And can I communicate it in the way that John's suggesting here, which is quickly, concisely, with a little bit of misdirection potentially in there? And it, you know, I, I think you mentioned there's at least 10 different structures of jokes that, that you kind of teach on, on your programs, right? So... Um, just, just to be clear, yeah. I only, there's about 10 joke structures. I only teach about four. There's not time to teach people 10. They, they, mm. Some people struggle to see the, conceptually how jokes work and, and like classic, classic setup punchline with misdirection jokes. Those are hard to teach. It took me like, mm. quite honest, a few years of comedy before I started to see sort of like, it's like, remember those old magic eye puzzles? Oh, yeah, yeah. You stare at it long enough and an elephant pops out or something. I was never in That's kind of how joke writing eventually works. Like the more you observe from that front or hear, the more of them you sort of study and hear, eventually you start to see things with those angles. Mm. So the obvious part yeah. becomes, um, you, you know, the, the, this thing that like you start to figure out how to reverse it, if that makes sense. Uh, see yeah. something less obvious and then present the obvious part on the back end. Um so it and again i don't know if any of that made sense to anyone who's listening but some jokes really um are all about you know rodney dangerfield for example has this joke um my doctor told me to watch my drinking so now i drink in front of a mirror <laughs> but, but that last part you, you know when when someone says my doctor told me to watch my drinking we're making all kinds of assumptions yeah about what's going to happen next oh he's going to cut back and maybe he'll have withdrawal symptoms but no, he's just drinking in front of a mirror where he can yeah. see himself and watch so, him. So, so literal. Yeah, exactly. So, no, I so, love it. And sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, and you know, now you're teaching it, so it's not just you know you can recognize it in a, in, a, in a kind of another comedian doing it. Then the next level is being able to do it right for yourself. And I think to be able to teach it is a, is a whole another level of of understanding because you've got to be able to unpack it and rebuild it and not just do it for yourself but show others how to do it so you know uh, i'm 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 excited to to hear more and, and try and figure some more stuff out and you know bring that in because like you say i only need one joke i just change the audience and like your solution consultant as long as you're rotating the person in front of you you can see that same joke um i tell my audiences that if anybody joins a training says i've told this joke before well, and, and that's, that's, that you don't even have to say that. Like you could say, I've been telling, yeah, you can even make a joke about it. Like I tell that to all my, to all my training, um, my training groups. One, one thing I, want, I do want to highlight is something that you brought up. Um, I like to say that what I do is CrossFit for seller communication skills, because you're right. The art of communication is dying. Uh, it's look, it's been dying even before chat GPT came on the scene. Mm. Email sequences, sequencers, um, or, or uh, engagement platforms that, you know, ultimately, it's turned out that reps don't know how to write their own emails, so their managers do it for them. I mean, so yeah. we're taking away the ability for them to structure thoughts and ideas. Um, they're not building their vocabulary. It's sort of just, it's all going on autopilot, right? And like, well, at some point, I don't want to say we won't need salespeople, because that's not a prediction I'm prepared to make. Like, we don't know how the future unfolds. But if they don't know how to communicate, um, yeah. Then, then I don't know what we do with those particular salespeople. My, my thoughts are things are going to reverse a little bit and we're going to go back. And selling 
it, we're not going to need people to open conversations because we already know that buyers are doing the research. We know that and that sellers are actually engaging 50, yeah. 60% away down the buying funnel. What we're going to need sellers to do is quickly connect and re- build rapport, become trusted, become advisors, and be able to communicate key business issues in a way that are understood very quickly, which is essentially what you just covered. <laughs> so I think we're going to see that reversal, which is sellers become coaches for buyers. Like that, They're going to help people go through the buying process, um, ideally buying their own product. But to do that, you've got to be able to build rapport and build trust very quickly. Yeah. And yeah. that's all about communication. I hope you're right about that. Don, this has been phenomenal. Um, how can people find out a little bit more? I know you're very active on social, but how can people uh, learn more about you and what you do? That's a lie. I'm not very active on social. I'm only active on LinkedIn. Ah. Um, and so if that's people... That's the only place I go. Well, <laughs> it's all for all the I mean, that's social <laughs> for adults. Um, so if people just... People punch in my name, J-O-N-S-E-L-I-G, they will find me. Uh, they can also go to my website, which is... Oddly enough, johnseelig.com. There is no H in John, just to be very clear. Um, if there is, it's silent and invisible. Um, and those are, the, those are the best two spots to get a hold of me. Perfect. Well, John, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks for sharing your ideas. Thanks for teaching me so much. And I hope we get to bump into each other again in the future. Thanks again for having me. This has been a lot of fun. You know what I think, Ron? I think that was a sales call. Good job, buddy. So you're going to buy a subscription? No, I already get the times. Bye-bye.